And we're going to do that now. Uh, we're going to be reading from the book of Colossians, from Colossians chapter 4. And if you've got a Bible handy, you might like to open that up at Colossians chapter 4. And uh, keep that with you because you'll be using it during the sermon. We're also going to uh, show that on the screen. And I'm going to invite Hallie to come forward now. And Hallie is going to read to us from Colossians chapter 4. Thank you, Hallie. Hello, everyone. So, as you was just established, the reading today is from Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 to 18. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and those at Laodicea and Heropolis. My, our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas sends greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Britain, there was also a communications revolution which was going on and uh, one which uh, greatly helped in the spread of the gospel and greatly helped in the building up and the encouragement of the churches. But it wasn't an information superhighway. It was simply called highways. That is, roads. Roads which were built by the Romans in order to connect all of the uh, towns and the cities, uh, the far-flung places of their vast empire. Uh, road systems uh, built by the Romans meant that uh, people could now more easily travel. It meant that freight could now more easily be transported over land. And in terms of communication, it meant that letters could be more efficiently delivered, which meant that when church leaders, such as the Apostle Paul, uh, could not be physically present, that they could still encourage congregations in the gospel. And they could do so by writing letters, which could be efficiently delivered. Over the past few months uh, in our church service, we've been working our way through uh, one such 
of those letters. Uh, the letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in the city called Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey. And today, we come to the conclusion of the letter, uh, the conclusion which was read to us earlier on by Hallie. And actually, if you have a Bible uh, with you, you might like to open it up at Colossians chapter 4, uh, verses 7 through to 18. This is the kind of passage which, when we're reading our Bibles, it's very easy for us to be tempted to just skim over it. Because at first glance, it appears to be just a few closing comments and a few personal greetings. The formalities part of the letter. And yet, when we look more closely, we discover that it's actually that in these verses... Uh, there is material which is of great value, of great benefit to us even today. But before we uh, get into that, let me first say a couple of things about the formalities, which uh, are actually not just mere formalities, they're much more than formalities. I'm going to read to you from verse 15, uh, where Paul says, "'Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea, and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read to the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Till Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Now, in the first century, the culture in terms of letter writing was that you would always finish a letter with a greeting and a blessing. And that's what the Apostle Paul does here. But his greeting is a specifically Christian greeting because he encourages them by uh, requesting, asking that they would be blessed by God's grace, that God's grace would be with them. Notice also that uh, Paul, it appears, had dictated uh, this letter uh, to a scribe. However, in concluding the letter, he takes up the pen and he writes the conclusion with his own hand. Uh, presumably, this is because of the risk of forgeries. People knew how Paul wrote. Something else we learn is that Paul had also written a letter to the church in Laodicea. At Laodicea was a, a, a city which was about 16 kilometres west of Colossae and we're told that the two churches were then to uh, exchange letters. They were to read the letters which were written to each one of them because Paul's letters to churches were meant to be copied, were meant to be shared around because the issues contained in those letters tended to affect not just individuals, but affect all churches in one way or another, as they infect, uh, affect actually churches now, even us. But the great value in these closing, uh, this closing section of Colossians is found in what Paul says about greetings that he wants to pass on from certain people. 
You see, for Paul, uh, Paul was actually in lockdown when he wrote this letter. Paul, literally in lockdown. Peter, Paul was in prison. But for Paul, being in that kind of social distancing, that social isolation of prison, uh, that did not mean that um, he would not be involved in ministry. Because in his situationing, strengthening the churches not only involved uh, writing letters to them, but it also involved building connections with the right kind of people. And he does so firstly by saying a few words about the two men who were delivering this letter to the Colossian Christians. Um, Pick it up at verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Not just postmen, were they? Uh, There were profound issues about the gospel and living for Christ, which were dealt with in the letter, but other news about how things were going personally for Paul and for his companions, well, Tychicus and Onesimus would share personally uh, so as to encourage the church in those things. But notice how Paul describes Tychicus. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. Now, the word servant can also be translated as slave. Notice that that is not what he calls Onesimus, which is interesting because, as I mentioned a couple of weeks back, Onesimus was actually a slave. He was an escaped slave who had, it seems, under Paul, had heard the gospel and trusted in Jesus. And the reason why Onesimus was accompanying Tychicus uh, to Colossae was that his master, Philemon, was a Christian and he was a member of the Colossian church. And Paul was sending uh, him back to Philemon uh, with another letter, a personal letter, where Paul describes Onesimus, it was a a letter to Philemon, uh, where Paul describes Onesimus as no longer a slave, but as a dear brother in the Lord. In fact, Onesimus was so faithful that Paul was requesting that he be sent back to Paul so as to assist him in the ministry of the gospel, which he was involved in whilst in prison. You see, imprisonment did not stop Paul from doing ministry. And he was not alone in that ministry, Uh, In verses 10 to 11, Paul sends greetings from three Jewish Christians who were with him. Uh, They were Jewish, although their names were not entirely Jewish. Uh, Let me say a few things about these three men. First of all, there is Aristarchus, who is also in prison with Paul. Uh, Then there is Mark, uh, Mark who had once let Paul down but uh, now was reliable, And there is Jesus, um, whose name is also 
He also goes by the name of Justice. Uh, by the way, um, Jesus was a common Jewish name at the time. Uh, it uh, did, however, become less popular amongst uh, Jewish parents sometime in the second century, and uh, that probably because of its association with our Lord Jesus. But this man's name is Jesus, also known by Latin name, and that is Justice. But in verse 11, these were the only Jewish Christians who were involved with Paul, helping him in his ministry. And they proved, says Paul, to be a comfort to me. We can understand why. I mean, when Paul was in chains, these were the Jewish Christians who says, well, that's not what I signed up for. Um, I'm out of here. No, they were committed. They were committed not to their own comfort, but they were committed to comforting Paul because they were committed primarily to the work of preaching the gospel and expanding the kingdom of God. And they were not the only ones. In verses 11 through to 14, there are Gentile Christians who are also sending their greetings. One is named Demas. And then there is Luke, who Paul describes as our dear friend Luke the doctor, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts. And then there is a man by the name of Epaphras. And I want to focus on Epaphras for a few moments because what Paul says about Epaphras gets to the very heart of what this whole letter is about. And it is of great value to us. Let me show you why. Can I get you to look at verse 12 if you have a Bible in front of you? Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant or slave of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. So just some geography here, Colossae, Laodicea and the city of Hierapolis uh, were all uh, nearby cities and they were all built uh, along the banks of a river. They were built along uh, what's called the Lycus River. Epaphras was a local, he was from Colossae, who we were told back in chapter 1 verse 7 had heard the gospel elsewhere but then had returned to Colossae and he had become the first person to preach the gospel of Jesus uh, in that city. Now, can you imagine what that would be like? Uh, you, uh, you hear the gospel, you're converted, uh, you go and share the gospel with people who, from your hometown. There are people who believe the gospel, that a church begins and a church is established, a church is born. How would you feel about that? Uh, that church would be very, very dear to you, would it not? Very dear to you precious to you. Epaphras was committed to this church and also to those nearby who he also served. Uh, he also worked for the Lord in Hierapolis and Laodicea. He was committed to them 
working hard, says Paul, and wrestling for them in prayer. Notice what he prayed for. He prayed that they would stand firm, that they would be mature, and that they would be fully assured. Wrestling, agonising, struggling, these are the things for which he prayed. Now, why so intense? Well, there's a good reason for that. The reason why there is such intensity here in his prayers is because these three things, their firmness, their maturity and their assurance are now at great risk, are now at great peril. They are under threat. And this is the very reason why Paul wrote this letter to them. Because the Colossians had certainly heard and trusted in the gospel. They had certainly experienced a tremendous assurance uh, in their experience of God. But now false teachers were at work in the Lycus Valley. What was their false teaching? Well, this is what we've seen throughout the letter. That uh, back in chapter 2, the false teachers were saying that faith in Jesus, that's great but it's not enough, that you need more. You need to trust in Jesus, plus you need to abstain from certain foods and drinks, plus you need to observe certain religious festivals, plus you need to observe special Sabbath days. They also taught that inflicting pain on your body and uh, developing, having special visions and an experience which involved angels that that could bring you into a higher level of spirituality uh, which you needed in order to be complete. And what Paul says to this is an emphatic no. And he does so because of two things. He does so because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done on the cross. You see, in chapter 1, Jesus is God in the flesh who by his death on the cross has paid the perfect sacrifice for sin. It's not as if Jesus has done part of the job. He's gotten us most of the way there, but we need to top it up with some extra things that we need to be doing or some extra experience which we need to have. No, Jesus has done the job. His resurrection proves that his sacrifice has been accepted by God the Father as being complete. So that if you have truly trusted in Jesus, then you've got it all. Forgiven by God and reconciled to him, you are complete through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is not just a first century problem. For in churches today, there are still those who would teach that if you want to be complete as a Christian, that trusting in Christ is not quite enough. It's Christ plus whatever their particular additional thing happens to be. Which can sound very spiritual, 
but it lures people away from trusting wholly in the death of Christ to pay for their sins. Some end up with a faith which is a bit wobbly, a bit insecure, a bit immature, lacking in assurance because they're never quite certain whether they've done enough of the other stuff. Whilst others become proud because they think they have. Epaphras knew the effect that false teachers could have on the church. And that's why in verse 12 he wrestled in prayer for them that they would stand firm, that they would be mature and that they would be fully assured in Jesus. Friends, Paul doesn't have very much good to say about the false teachers but he's got plenty of good to say about men such as Tychicus and Onesimus and Aristarchus and Epaphras. And these are not just interesting sounding Greek names, these are good gospel connections. You see, how do we keep a church fully assured in Christ? Well, having good internet connections is very helpful in that regard as we're finding out right now. But for the Colossians, uh, Paul wants to build connections with the right people. It's people connections that count. Uh, Not people who distort the gospel so that others would follow after them, but rather those who are faithful servants, working hard, wrestling in prayer, even like Aristarchus who are prepared to go to prison for the sake of Jesus. Because they are convinced that his death and resurrection is all that we need for completeness. To be forgiven of our sin and reconciled to our creator forever. What more could you want? In the communication revolution that we're going through right now, we're all learning new ways of connecting. I even heard of a a lady who is in her mid-90s who learnt how to do Zoom conferencing and now, you wouldn't believe it, but she has become the go-to tech guru in her church. Everyone's connecting with her to find out how do they get on to Zoom. In our Christian lives, uh, we need people connections. We need good people connections. It's good to be connected to the right people, people who are faithful servants of the Lord, especially uh, in leadership. And of course, it's also the kind of people that we all need to be. Faithful servants, committed to the truths of the gospel, committed committed to serving no matter the cost. For in in endorsing these men, what is Paul implying to the Colossians? He's saying, value them, listen to them, be like them. And friends, in a conclusion of touching simplicity, Paul says to the Colossians, oh, and remember my chains as well. Let's pray, shall we?
Father, we want to thank you for uh, the faithfulness of uh, men who have served uh, the gospel in the past as recorded for us in this letter. Uh, We pray for ourselves, for each one of us, that we would understand who Jesus is, that his death on the cross is the sufficient payment for our sin, that through him and him alone we can be fully uh, brought into relationship with yourself. Father, we pray for each one of us that we would have that assurance and that we would not waver, that we would not move from our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask these things in his name. Amen.